Hi, and welcome to the Beauty Podcast with Sally Hughes, the straight-talking, no-nonsense podcast written and presented by me, Sally Hughes, and brought to you by Avon. We discuss a different topic each week on all manner of beauty issues, from the practical to the political, the deeply serious to the deliciously superficial, all with a host of industry experts at the very top of their game. In every show, there's a Q&A with them and me, and we really want to hear from you. Ask us any beauty-related question or tell us which topics you'd like to cover. Tag me on social. I'm Sally Hughes everywhere with one L and an I, except on Facebook where I'm Sally Hughes Get The Look. And use the hashtag TheBeautyPodcast with Sally. The most requested episode via these messages is acne. We live in a culture where until recently, acne was dismissed by others, even doctors, as part and parcel of being young, menopausal, city dwelling. In the past, people happily and rudely presumed it was a question of poor hygiene, bad diet and other lifestyle factors. But in reality, acne can be an emotionally distressing, socially debilitating condition that leaves people feeling helpless. Questions on acne arrive in my inbox in their droves, and I know how it affects very many adult and mature women who are conscientious about skincare and feel the problem should be long gone from their lives. So how can we address, treat and manage a condition that affects so many men, women and children? When does what is normal tip into something more serious? How can we prevent and minimise further outbreaks? What even is acne versus spots? Today's guest has the answers. She is Angeli Marto, dermatologist and author of the Skincare Bible. She is also inundated with questions on acne. But before we get to those, Anjali, tell me about your own experiences of acne, because this isn't just work for you, is it? Absolutely not. And my journey with acne started probably when I was about 11 or 12 years old. And it was at a time where there was a lot of other things going on in my personal life. I'd had very close bereavement in the family. And about a couple of weeks later, I literally came out in the deepest, most painful spots you have seen. I was then pushed into a new school at the same time and acne for me was one of those things that I associate with going through puberty and also having a very difficult time in terms of personal experience Mm -hmm. as well. And my acne kind of persisted over my teenage years. I saw many, many dermatologists, had multiple treatments over that time. But it's one of those things that has never completely cleared up. So it's been part of my life longer than it's not. So you have access as a dermatologist, to all of the treatments. Can you briefly discuss what the basic options are? So if I were to go to my GP and I had acne, what would be the kind of frontline treatment for that? Yeah, so most people, when they first develop spots or acne, will start off with skincare products. But if they fail to work, when you go to see your GP as your first port of call, there are a number of cream treatments they can prescribe, which can contain things like antibiotics, retinoids, so vitamin A-based creams, benzoyl peroxide. And usually we recommend that you try those for a couple of weeks to maybe about two to three months. And if they're not working, the next step would be oral medications. So standard first line is antibiotic treatments. And then in a female patient, sometimes the contraceptive pill if appropriate. And then if those measures fail, that would be the point where your GP would refer you to a dermatologist. And so when you talk about um, frontline treatment being things like antibiotics, we're talking about bacteria, aren't we? Could you talk briefly about that? Yeah, absolutely. So acne is very much a multifactorial issue. Uh So it occurs very much when we sort of start going through puberty, 
because we produce more hormones. Yeah. In particular, a type of hormone known as androgen hormones. So these are things like testosterone. And even women produce small amounts sure. of testosterone. But what happens is as we get a spike in testosterone as we go through puberty, that causes our oil glands to get bigger. Once you've got bigger, juicier oil glands, mm-hmm. you're pumping out more oil onto the skin surface. So pores can get blocked. So you can develop blackheads and whiteheads. Once those pores are blocked, bacteria that live on the skin surface can act on those to create those deeper spots, the ones without a head. So it's a combination of hormonal issues combined with excess oil production as well as the bacteria that live on the skin. And you mentioned going through a hard time personally. And I know that lots of readers and friends tell me that their acne or breakouts become so much worse when they're under stress and anxiety. Is that a common occurrence? Absolutely. I mean, I think stress can aggravate any chronic inflammatory skin condition, be that acne, be that eczema, be that psoriasis. Yeah, absolutely. And so, as you say, if those treatments don't work, can you recommend a couple of weeks to two to three months at most to get a really good idea of what's happening or or more to the point what isn't happening? So at that point... Can you then go to your GP and ask for a referral? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that we have with NHS referral systems is the GP may insist on a number of things that need to be tried before that referral process can take place. But one of the things I would say is the key things that you're looking out for is if your acne or your spots are affecting your mental health and they're affecting how you feel about yourself – or if you're starting to get scarring or sort of pitting yes. in the skin, those are probably signs that you do need stronger treatment. And it is absolutely reasonable to ask for an onward referral to a dermatologist at that stage. I think it's about making those things explicitly clear, isn't it, to your yeah. doctors? You mentioned if your mental health is suffering, if you're not going to places that you really want to go to, if you're not socialising, if you're not dating or anything that you want to do, I think if it's affecting your life negatively yeah. in more ways than one, then I think it's really important to let your doctor know that. I think so too. And I think one of the issues that the medical community have been very guilty of in the past is acne has very much been dismissed. Yes. And we haven't really actually, you know, put together the fact that it is associated with anxiety, depression, low self-esteem, poor body image, all of those things that you've just said. It's a huge problem amongst grown women who quite understandably feel well, hang on a minute, you know, why have I got a mortgage and acne? Why have I got adult responsibilities? And I still have this condition that's kind of considered to be a young person's condition. What kind of scale of the problem are you seeing in practice amongst adult people? So about a quarter of women will suffer with female adult acne. So that's acne that will develop possibly for the first time after the age of about 23, 24. So it's an increasing issue that we've been seeing in our clinics, but we don't exactly know the reasons why. I mean, you know, there must be something about our lifestyle or the way that our lives have changed that it's become more of an issue, but it's definitely something that's a growing problem without any clear explanation as to why. Right, because I I, I think lots of people at that stage in their life think, well, hang on a minute, I'm not going through puberty, I'm not going through menopause, I'm not pregnant, I haven't just had a baby. I look after my skin. It just seems incredibly unfair. So you're saying the experts don't even know yet why there's been this. It feels to me like a surge. Maybe that's an exaggeration, but I certainly hear more about acne now than I ever did. Yeah, and I think it is actually a genuine thing that we're seeing. It's not the fact that we're talking about it more. I think we are seeing it more as well. And so if you finally manage to get to see a dermatologist and all of those initial 
topical and ingested uh, treatments have failed to work, what would then you look at as a dermatologist? So there's a couple of things that I always ask about in my consultations. And the biggest one actually is the psychological effect. So if I see somebody that has come in without makeup on, I will always say, has it been a big deal coming to clinic today without right. wearing makeup? Because presumably they want you to see their skin in its natural condition. Absolutely. But that's quite scary if you've got lots going on on there. Exactly. You know, most people with acne will want to camouflage it to some sure. degree and will go to the gym with their makeup on, won't think of getting on the tube without wearing their makeup. So that's one thing. The second thing that I always say is, you know, is it stopping you doing anything? Do you yeah. feel self-conscious about it? For sure. Because we want people to be in a place where actually they're very much in control of their skin and their skin is not controlling them on a day-to-day. But then the other things are things like scarring because about 20% of people that suffer with acne will get permanent scarring of their skin. And it's really important that we catch people before that happens. The acne itself is easier to treat than the scarring. So that is something else that I would look out for. And the third thing really is, is it cystic acne? Those deep, red, painful bumps underneath the skin, the ones that don't come to a head. Yes. Because they're the ones that are more likely to scar. Interesting. They're more likely to scar. Yeah. I think lots of women who would never be recognised as having acne have those very painful ones along their jawline and so on at different times of the month. And they really hurt. And as you say, they're unsatisfying because they never come to the surface. You feel like you can't really treat them. They just sort of sit there feeling very uncomfortable, causing swelling and so on. And there's not much you can do to combat them. Yeah. And I think the other thing with adult women suffering is they are a very different group to the teenage patients. Because if you're in your 30s or your 40s, you're probably holding down a job. You're a professional as well. And then you feel like, oh, my God, no one is taking me seriously because I'm going into meetings. That's so interesting. And then I have spots and people just think I'm the spotty teenager. Yeah. And it makes people incredibly self-conscious. That's fascinating. Yes, people in senior positions yeah. sort of being treated like they're, they're a bit green because they're, they've got spotty skin like yeah. a kid. That's awful, isn't it, that yeah. we can judge people so much on their skin. And so... When you had had that kind of consultation, presumably there are many different treatments that you might deploy. What are some of those? Yeah, so if we're talking purely about tablet treatments, um, there is a drug called spironolactone, which I use an awful lot for female adult acne. It's an off-label drug. So what that means, it's not actually licensed in the UK for the treatment of acne. It's used an awful lot in North America, so in the US and Canada. But it's really effective at reducing the amount of hormone in the skin that is driving acne itself. And most women do very well with it. And it's got very few side effects. The problem is that because it is off-label, it's not readily available. And even a lot of dermatologists aren't prescribing it. So it's a little bit of potluck whether or not you will get prescribed that. Alternatively, there is the drug isotretinoin, known often as Roaccutane. Yes. And that's a much stronger medication, but it is probably single-handedly the most effective medication that we have for acne in this present day. Roaccutane is such a tricky one. We were talking about it off air and you were talking about your experiences of Roaccutane. I have seen some absolutely miraculous, phenomenal results with Roaccutane. But I've also known people whose kids, for example, have become incredibly sad and distressed, particularly the boys. Um, And I think people are frightened of Roaccutane. Tell us about that. Do they need to be alarmed? There are lots of scare stories around it. There very much are. And I think it's a shame, actually, because I think Roaccutane is a very safe and a very effective drug 
provided it's being prescribed by somebody that knows what they're doing. Yes. So the issue with the the mental health aspect of going on Roaccutane is that there have been a lot of sort of high profile cases where people have said that's that awful drug that causes Mm. anxiety, depression and even suicide, particularly in teenage boys that's often where the publicized cases that's very hard because depression is rife in teenage boys and it's rife in people with acne this is exactly right there's an awful lot of circumstantial stuff yeah and if you look at all of the clinical trial data that we have it does seem to be that roaccutane probably is not related to mental health issues interesting the problem is that untreated acne itself we know is associated with anxiety and depression yes so if by definition your acne is severe enough to warrant roaccutane it is also entirely conceivable that it is severe enough to actually affect how you feel about yourself very much so the second issue is you know we do actually know that the rates of suicide in, in boys between 16 and 25 is quite high. So the figures that you need to look at are, are the rates higher in the people that have committed suicide not on Roaccutane versus the ones that have on Roaccutane? And there was a very recent study that came out that showed that actually there was no difference in the two population groups. So if there is genuinely a link, it probably is so small, the studies aren't picking it up. Mm And from a sort of practicing point of view, one thing I would say is most people feel better as their skin gets better, not the other way around. So I know what you can find on the internet about it. It's important to counsel patients and their parents before you start the drug. But I think that, you know, it's important to recognize that acne itself may be driving part of the problem. The other, the other ingredient, I think, that is very often forgotten, but only in this context, is that the world is now, I mean, we in this industry have never seen the like. The world is now obsessed with retinol as an ingredient. Retinol is actually a really effective treatment, um, particularly prescription retinoid, which is a bit stronger. It does a number of things. Um, but what it does is it effectively makes your skin cells less sticky. So they're less likely to clump together and block your pores. Mm-hmm. It's also really good at fading the pigmentation or the marking that may be left behind from acne as well. The third thing is a lot of the studies that show that adapalene, so differin, which is a prescription retinoid, can also help with a little bit of superficial scarring as well. The only thing is you do need to be patient. It does take at least 12 weeks before yeah. you see any benefit. So. I think one of the problems I see is people try it for a week, maybe a month. They get bored. They don't see the results. That's they want, true they just of throw all skincare, as you know. Yeah. People say, I bought that serum and it didn't do anything. And yeah. then you invariably find out they've been using it for a week or something. Yeah. So, so with all these treatments available at your fingertips... You must get people saying, well, hang on, you're a dermatologist. You can you can do whatever you like. You have access yeah. to everything and you still suffer from acne. Are we talking with lots of people a situation where we're really addressing management rather than curative treatments. That's exactly right. I mean, I remember the first time I actually started speaking about my acne. I felt like, oh my God, people aren't going to take me seriously. Yeah. It's my job to be able to fix your skin and I can't, and I'm putting this in quotation marks, but I can't fix my own skin. Yeah. But I think we do need to change our mindset with acne. You know, it is a chronic problem for many, many people. So what I mean by that is we can't necessarily cure it, but we can control it. Right. Should we get on to some questions? Hmm. Because I think... So many of the themes that we've touched on will come up again. Avon has championed breast cancer awareness for over 25 years and donated £20 million to charities. This Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Avon and Copper Feel are launching Breast Breaks. The campaign aims to encourage women and men to take the time to check their breasts and pecs regularly. 
to spot the early signs of breast cancer. You can find out more by visiting avon.uk.com forward slash causes. Take a hashtag breast break. So Natalie wants to know, teen acne, best topical products to use? Azaleic acid or salicylic acid or topical antibiotics? My son's spots seem to have left a tiny red dot behind. What's the best way to avoid or get rid of those? So that's a very common problem, the kind of staining in the skin that can be left behind yeah. after acne itself. So answering the first part of that question, salicylic acid is probably better than azelaic acid for yeah. actually treatment of the acne itself. Mm-hmm. Salicylic will penetrate the pore, it will break down oil production. So I think that's definitely a good starting point. Azelaic is good at fading pigmentation, but I wouldn't necessarily put it into a treatment plan for a teenager. I think you're better off looking at either salicylic or a retinoid product, which you can possibly get from your GP, and that will help fade the pigmentation as well. Exactly. I was going to say I use azelaic for melasma. It's it's not something that would occur to me to, to suggest to somebody with acne. The context that's used in actually for acne is pregnancy acne. Interesting. Um, because you can't give the retinoid during that time and azelaic is a good alternative. Christy says, recommendations for easily available products for teen boys with acne that aren't too much hassle to use daily, please. So I have a teenage boy who I have on an anti-spot skincare regime. So this is pertinent to me. Yeah. So I think the key things, again, are the ingredients that you're looking for in your skincare as a starting point. It is important to look for face washes or moisturisers that contain things like salicylic acid, niacinamide, which can calm down a bit of inflammation. And then if there's a lot of marking, an alpha hydroxy acid, like a bit of lactic or glycolic as well. The key things, though, are making sure that you are actually cleansing your skin. You're washing your face morning and evening. And just from seeing teenage boys in clinic, that can be a a difficult thing to get them to do at times. And also moisturising. You know, there's often this idea that if you've got oily skin, you don't need to moisturise. But the oil content and the water content in your skin are very, very different. Very much so. So it is important to be able to moisturise. Definitely in the morning. Absolutely. And in the evening, if the skin feels dry. So there's a lot of good brands out there. You don't need to spend a lot of money. But salicylic, niacinamide, and then a little bit of an alpha hydroxy acid, they can all be of benefit. I 100% agree. I really don't think you need uh, to spend lots of money, particularly on teen skincare. It's more important that they do it, I think, than that they have really expensive products. And this question of personal hygiene in young people is critical because very often it's bacteria from their hair that causes it. On their forehead, for example. And styling products. Styling um, products, Exactly. Yeah. The gels, the waxes, and then particularly in the summer, if people get sweaty, then the wax runs down onto the forehead and it can block your pores. But also, isn't there an issue around over-cleansing? Because sometimes when a young person in particular has spots, they sort of, especially the girls, I find, want to kind of wash their face over and over and over again. And that in itself can cause problems, correct? That's right. Washing every day and using face masks every day. I see a lot of that as well. So I think this comes from this very common myth that acne has occurred because of poor personal hygiene. Yeah, you're not doing enough. Exactly. You're not cleaning your face properly. And that's, that's not the case. So one of the flip sides of that is then people start to overwash. The problem with doing that is you're much more likely then to create sensitivity, irritation, and then you're going to be end up left with not just dry patches, but the spots are going to remain as well. So you've effectively just made the problem worse rather than better. Yeah, inflammation should be avoided at all costs, of course. 
Claire would like to know, why did I get acne in my late 30s and not during my younger years? So I hear this a lot. Women yeah. who didn't actually have any problems yeah. when they were starting their periods, going through puberty, and suddenly they're in their 30s and they have acne. Yeah, so a quarter of women will suffer with that. One of the common things that I tend to see, though, in that age group is a, a lot of women have started the pill in their teenage years, the oral contraceptive pill. Right, yes. Then they remain on it for, let's say, a decade or so. And they get to their late 20s, early 30s, and start thinking, maybe I should come off the pill now. Feel see like what... a break. Exactly. Feel like having kids. Yeah, see what my cycles are like. The thing is, the contraceptive pill, the combined contraceptive pill that I'm talking about, is actually a treatment for acne. So it may be that that entire time people have been taking the pill, it's actually been suppressing their natural tendency towards acne that you don't know about. The minute you take the pill away, your body almost goes back into default mode of what it would have done yeah. now that you've pulled it. So it almost has a second yeah. adolescence. Exactly. So I think that's one of the reasons why, actually, we see a lot of acne in that age group. And certainly in clinic, I do. It's, you know, people coming off the pill six to 12 months ago and suddenly their skin flares up. Rebecca wants to know, why are some people prone to acne, even with a healthy diet and a good amount of sleep and exercise? Can we talk about diet? Because I think there's so much myth around this. Yeah, I would love to, actually. Because yeah. I think this is a common thing that I think social media is also driving. I agree. This idea that if you have you know, spots or any skin condition, it must be because you're doing something wrong. You're eating loads of chips and burgers yeah. and crisps. You yeah. know, this idea of you are what you eat. And I think that's a shame because I think it promotes a blame culture on yeah. people that have skin problems when they're doing everything right. Totally agree. So I think that the diet and acne issue was interesting. Um, a lot of people are worried that dairy, for example, will cause spots. Now, if you look at all of the clinical data that we have, for a small select group of individuals, dairy may drive acne. But for the vast majority of people, it does not make the blindest bit of difference. If it was as straightforward as that, I wouldn't have vegan patients with acne. And yeah. I certainly do. So I kind of say in this scenario, you know, if you're somebody that knows that every time you have like a dairy product and your skin breaks out, you may well be sensitive. But if your acne just does what it wants and it flares up doing its own thing, dairy is probably not the issue here. For a lot of people that are sensitive to dairy, and this is a very small select group, it seems to be that low-fat dairy is more of an issue than full-fat dairy. Interesting. Yeah. And we don't exactly know the reason why. There's a couple of kind of hypotheses being thrown around. But one of them might be that when the fat is removed from the milk, it leaves a lot of carbohydrates and sugar behind. Yes. And maybe it's sugar that's the issue. And that comes on to the second part of diet. There is a little bit of emerging data that diets that are high in very refined sugars, so foods that have got a really high glycemic index for some people again may drive acne the problem is the solution here isn't to suddenly wildly start cutting huge food groups out of your diet because that then I think creates issues around food and sort of disordered behaviors around food and we need to be very careful of that and the acne doesn't get better either so for the vast majority of people Diet doesn't have a huge part to play, but I think human nature and psychology is as such. We need reasons. We need reasons. We need control. So, you know, what are easy things to control? Our skincare, our diet, and that's where we look to first. Sophie wants to know, best treatment for headless spots in teen skin, please. So you touched on that briefly before. Can we talk more about those headless spots? Because they're even worse. They're so unsatisfying. Yeah, so those headless spots are either papules, so these tiny little red bumps on the skin, nodules or cysts. So that's the kind of medical terminology that we give them. And they are the ones that are deeper in the skin surface, which is kind of why they never come to a head. 
The problem with those types of spots is they are the ones that are much more likely to scar. They're also much less likely to respond to skin care and topical treatments because the skin care often doesn't penetrate, penetrate deep yeah. enough into the skin surface. So I think if there's that going on, I would actually recommend seeing the GP and looking for prescription creams. Ella wants to know, hormonal acne. I've heard that only supplements like DIM can get rid of them, but I'm nervous about taking pills. So supplements are hugely being flogged again all over social yeah. media, yeah. not just for acne, anti-aging, the whole lot. And I got four yeah. private messages on Instagram yesterday asking me if I would recommend a collagen drink that's being advertised all over social media, to which for the absence of doubt, my advice was absolutely not. There's absolutely nothing to support their efficacy at all. That's exactly right. But this is a booming business, isn't it? The supplement it game. And again, I think it comes from that idea of control, trying to get control, combined with the fact that it's actually very difficult to access a dermatologist in the UK. There's yes. not that many of us. But if you look at these supplements, they always contain the same usual suspects. There's always vitamin A in them. There's yep. always omega-3 in them. There might be a couple of B vitamins in them. You know, And some zinc. D, because we all need D. That's right. Yeah. Zinc, selenium, the common things. But my advice there would be, actually, I don't think supplements are going to be the answer to that hormonal acne pattern that you're describing. So when we talk about hormonal acne, like sort of colloquially, we're talking about acne that affects the, the lower face, the jawline, the chin, the neck. And there isn't a great deal of evidence that supplements are going to sort that out. So I would probably save your money. Helena or Helena, I apologise if I got that wrong, um, asks, adult hormonal acne is the only solution birth control. I'm on the pill and it 100% helps me. But before that, I had deep, painful, long-lasting acne along my jawline, neck and back. I still get the odd spot on my back, but the rest has gone completely with the pill. Is there anything else that would work? Before you answer that, I also would like to know your thoughts on the fact that so many women think that they need to take a break from the pill. So the yeah. pill is working brilliantly for them as a contraceptive, which it does, and very often as an acne treatment. Yeah. I think if you're thinking of family planning and thinking sure. of having a baby, yeah, it's worthwhile coming off, letting your cycles come back to normal. But if that's not the reason you're coming off it and it's working for you, you don't desperately need to come off the pill. And so if Helena does need to come off the pill because she wants to have kids or, or, or for whatever health reasons. What are her options here? So if she just wanted to come off the pill because of the fact that she's been on it for a long time mm -hmm. rather than she's planning on having a baby, there are other good oral medications. And spironolactone, which I mentioned earlier, is a really good treatment for female hormonal acne because it does work by reducing those hormones in the skin that are driving the issue. But not available on the NHS? It's available on on the NHS, probably if you go to a unit which is familiar with prescribing it. Right. There are some current UK trials running on it at the moment. So I suspect that in the next probably five years or so, it'll become more readily available than it is at the moment. The second thing is if the acne is cystic, so those deep red painful spots, and again, family planning is not on the cards, mm -hmm. Roaccutane can be beneficial also. But if you're coming off the pill because you want to have a baby, your options are relatively limited and it does need to be managed more with things like skincare. So your salicylic acids over the counter, your glycolic acids over the counter, your benzoyl peroxides. You can't use retinol. Yeah. If you're pregnant and if you're going to breastfeed. Um, but azelaic acid would be an alternative. And then laser treatments, actually, whilst you're trying or thinking about conceiving, could be an option.
Jessica would like to know, how do I deal simultaneously with ageing skin and hormonal acne? I'm laughing because I receive this message so often. It's such a big problem. I've always been oily in combination, but my skin is more dry and dehydrated now. And I don't know which products will help with both the dryness without exacerbating the acne. Now, this is a really common problem. Yeah, and I think the answer here is, firstly, if you're suffering with both acne, but anti-aging is on the cards, it's about picking multi-purpose ingredients that can deal with both. So it's always good old retinol or retinoid that would do that. But if your skin is becoming dry and sensitive, the approach that I tend to take is to say, use very, very bland skincare, i.e. use sort of fragrance-free, very kind of hydrating cleansers and moisturizers to counteract the dryness that the retinol may cause. The second thing that can be useful is after you use your retinol at night, 20 minutes later, use the moisturizer. And that's going to give you time to not dilute the effect of the retinol, but it's going to reduce the irritation that it may cause at the same time. The second key ingredient that you could look for are things like polyhydroxy acids. Yes. Which are a type of alpha hydroxy acid. So, love, love a poly myself yeah. on my own face. So your lactobionic acids, your maltobionic acids. So they're skincare ingredients. You can sort of like, you know, Google on the internet and find products that contain them. But they work by removing that upper layer of d- dead skin cells, but they also act as a humectant. So they will also bind water. So they're more moisturizing than your traditional glycolics and lactics. I think hydration is key because actually lots of people I meet who think they're dry are actually dehydrated. They don't need oil, they need water. So Holly would like to know, if you've gone through isotretinoin to deal with your acne, what follow-up products are best? That's a good question because Mm. people go through this big course of treatment and it works but of course it's not a treatment you can take forever. That's right. What I tend to do as standard after a patient with me will finish a course of isotretinoin or Roaccutane Mm -hmm. which is normally about four to six months Mm -hmm. is I then put them on a topical retinoid. I put them on adapalene as maintenance and they must do that ideally for a minimum of three months after they complete their treatment. Firstly to maintain the effects of the Roaccutane. Secondly to fade any pigmentation or red marking. And thirdly to help with the super Official scarring that they may have. But if people get on very well with adapalene, I tend to say just stay on it. Mm-hmm. If they find that adapalene, because it's quite strong, causes a lot of redness and peeling and flaking, after three months, I would say change your skincare routine so you're incorporating a over-the-counter strength retinol, mm-hmm. ideally anywhere between 0.1 and 0.3%. So on the higher end of the over-the-counter treatment. That's right. And then In terms of just other general products, using things that are marked as non-comedogenic, they're not going to block your pores. And every now and again, maintaining with things like your salicylic acids and your glycolic acids. Sarah, any advice for women with black skin? We can be oily as hell, which is great for not having wrinkles, but that brings on those lovely spots, blackheads, whiteheads, etc., that leave a lovely black mark. If we can prevent the spots, we won't have to deal with the dreaded dark spots or hyperpigmentation. Any help appreciated. Thank you. Now, this is interesting because uh, because actually women of colour have a double whammy in that scarring and pigmentation is an even greater concern. That's absolutely right. And I have to be honest, I tend to be 
quite aggressive in the treatments that I will offer black and Asian patients for that reason. Tell me about that. Um, it's simply because you're, you're absolutely right. For a lot of people, it's the pigmentation that bothers them more than maybe the spots themselves. And I think it is important that we switch off the acne process so therefore no further pigmentation develops. So in terms of skincare, and I feel like I'm mentioning a lot of the same ingredients, but salicylic to cut down that oil production and then alpha hydroxy acids like glycolic, which are chemical exfoliants to help fade the pigmentation. Azelaic acid can also be helpful for that. But I think if you're getting a lot of spots and the skin is very oily and you're being covered in lots and lots of pigmentation, really you are looking at medical treatments, be that a medical cream like a a prescription retinoid or oral medication. That's the only way to really get on top of it. So what would a good, sensible, simple skincare routine for someone acne prone look like to you? I would say cleanse in the morning with a salicylic acid cleanser. Use a moisturiser that's got a bit of salicylic acid, maybe zinc in it as well. Mm -hmm. If you wear makeup, put makeup on. In the evening, you make sure you take your makeup off properly. So, you know, makeup remover, micellar water, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Same cleanser that you use in the morning with your salicylic, your zinc, and then a retinoid. Perfect. Amy wants to know, what can I do about B12 injection-induced acne, please? So I don't think this is actually a massive issue, and I want to be very careful with what I say here, because B12 is clearly a very, very important vitamin that we need, and it needs to be replaced, particularly in, in vegetarians or vegans that may not be getting enough. So I think that, you know, if your skin is flaring up as a result of external medical treatment, what I would suggest is, again, topicals that you can use, so your topical retinoids, either on prescription or over the counter. Hillary would like to know, an alternative to Roaccutane with less serious side effects. Now, you've talked about this. We've had a few questions about Roaccutane. Can I take it with existing mental health issues and so on? And you ha- we did talk about it at the top of the show, but this is interesting. What's, is there an alternative to somebody who doesn't want to take it? So this is always a tricky question because it depends on the extent and the severity of the acne and whether or not they're scarring. But the absolute truth is that there is no effective that is as there's no there is no medication that is as effective as Roaccutane. So if somebody did not want to go on Roaccutane, the alternatives would be effectively weaker alternatives. So antibiotic therapy, but I don't like people being on antibiotics for long periods of time no. for their skin. Spironolactone if you're a female patient. But again, you can't get pregnant on that. There are other precautions one needs to take. And then other kind of non-interventional, non-medical treatments like chemical peels, like lasers. But they are only really good for very mild to moderate acne. And they only work provided those treatments are being repeated, probably on a monthly basis. So there is nothing as effective is the honest answer. But not to be scared of it. I think is what you seem to be saying with with proper medical guidance, not to be so fearful of it. That's right. And I'm saying that, you know, not just as a dermatologist who prescribes it, but as somebody that has taken Roaccutane and is taking it, it is a safe and an effective drug provided it is monitored properly. And I think there is a lot of unfortunate scaremongering on the internet over it. Sticking with Roaccutane, Rebecca asks a good question, I think. What are the best products to use whilst on Roaccutane? Are we leaving the drug to do its business and leaving kind of well alone 
or is there something we can do to help along the way? Yes, so this is a very common question that's asked when I start a patient on Roaccutane because in the initial phases of treatment, some people can get a flare-up or a purge of their skin. And the temptation is to then put loads of salicylic acid or all those other things I've mentioned already. The problem is that your skin is very fragile on Roaccutane. It is dry, it is sensitive. So all acids, exfoliators, scrubs, retinols need to be avoided. You need to let the drug do what it's going to do and be patient and give it time to work. But the skincare that goes along with it needs to be very, very bland. Gentle, simple, bland. So we're avoiding what? Fragrances, alcohol? Oils, all of the above. Steph um, has suddenly started getting spots in her mid-30s and we talked about what that shift might be and why it may have happened but she also suffers from eczema Mm. so how is she going to balance those two things treating her eczema and her spots without aggravating the other so I generally find that this is a very tricky balance because if you put too much grease onto the skin for the eczema you're going to cause the acne to flare up if you start using too many acids you're going to dry the skin out and you're going to trigger eczema so it's a very very delicate balance And my approach here tends to be, I encourage people to use, again, very bland, minimalistic skincare. I don't like complex routines because that's very likely to trigger the eczema itself. Yeah. So very bland face wash or cream cleanser, very bland moisturizer. And then from the acne point of view, if the acne is very widespread, I almost suggest try and treat that orally. So you're dealing with one from the outside, one from the inside. Or alternatively, use things like polyhydroxy acids and retinols, but make sure that everything else that you're doing is super bland so you're not triggering the eczema. Yeah, there have been some studies uh, recently that I was looking into a couple of months ago um, suggesting that actually, although lots of people with eczema, acne or none, tend to be told to avoid acids, that actually a low dose of beta and alpha and poly can actually be really effective just on the eczema provided that people aren't doing the 10-step routines yes, absolutely exactly that you're really relying on that to be your active and keeping everything yeah, else to a, a bit, bare minimum yeah, yeah quite so grace would it be possible to talk about valid solutions to treat very old scars i keep wondering if fillers are more helpful nowadays for instance so I generally find that with fillers, fillers are good for your isolated indented scar. So if you've got like, I don't know, a a chicken pox scar, for example, and there's just one of them, you can easily inject and plump that out. But I think if you've got more than one indented scar, you've got a large area that's affected. I personally find that you get better results from things like microneedling or laser um, because you can treat a large area more quickly. Because sometimes what can happen with the filler, and I'm saying this from the point of view of somebody that does also do filler for acne scarring, is that if you put the filler in, you can end up with a slight bump in the skin. Yeah, a um, puckering as exactly. well. Exactly. And then you end up having to laser to sand it down almost anyway. So I tend to reserve that for isolated scars usually is probably where I would go with a filler. The second thing is filler is not permanent. So it will wear out after a period of time. So if you're going to do a scar treatment, you're better off trying to do something that's actually going to boost your own collagen to then try and plump out and get more of a permanent result with it. Absolutely. Krishna, what's the best way to cover up spots whilst letting them run their course? So I remember being told many years ago by a dermatologist, well, if you wear makeup on your spots, you're just making things worse. Now, 
it is entirely normal for people that have spots to want to cover it up and wear makeup. So I highly encourage patients to wear makeup if that's what they want 100%. to do. 100%. And, you know, the key thing is looking at the textures of the products that you're using. You know, you want to be using light, very matte products rather than thick, hydrating foundations, which are more likely to block your pores. The key thing when you're covering up, though, is making sure that you take your makeup off properly at the end of the day. That is more of the issue, I think, than actually wearing makeup to camouflage if that's what you want to do. 100%. It drives me mad when people kind of wag their finger at women saying, oh, it's because you wear all that makeup that you've got spots. It can be such an important weapon in your anti-acne arsenal, having a proper foundation, as you say, an oil-free, mattifying, non-clogging foundation can be such an important part of your programme and the thing that actually is most beneficial to your mental health day to day. Absolutely. But take it off. Yes. Is the key. Laura wants to know, what's the best emergency treatment of a big cystic mountain-like spot that appears on the worst day possible? This is a good question because I get this message quite often from women who are about to get married. Yes. And... You know, they want to know, you know, what should they do? Should they squeeze it? Should they have a steroid injection? Should they go and have a facial? What should they do in an absolute emergency when it just needs to be gone? So if you're looking for something you can do at home, then dabbing salicylic acid onto the spot. So 2% salicylic acid is what you're looking for. And then a tiny, tiny bit of hydrocortisone, 0.5 or 1%, which you can buy from a pharmacy, over that to reduce the irritation the salicylic itself might cause can help reduce irritation and redness overnight. I have to be honest, though, the more effective treatment is if you have got access to a dermatologist, just getting an injection of some steroid and it goes down very, very quickly overnight. See, this is what I always say, and it's true of uh, cold sores as well. Just if you can get to a derm, if it's that important, i.e. you're about to get married, if you can get to a derm and get a steroid injection, all that swelling will come down really quickly. If you don't, I also really like salicylic acid patches. And the main reason I like them is that they suck all the moisture because they tend to be on special fabric that sucks out all the moisture. Um, they treat with salicylic but also they stop you from messing and touching Emma would like to know any advice on how to find a reliable facialist or dermatologist would be great well those are two very different things they are Um, I mean I would say from, from a dermatologist's point of view you want to make sure that the doctor that you're going to see is on the general medical council Mm -hmm. register and they are a consultant dermatologist Um, that title shows that somebody has got the highest training in the UK available in skin. So that's the first thing I would suggest you do. The General Medical Council Register is online. You can simply put GMC Register into Google. You can stick in the doctor's name, see what year they qualified and see if they are on the specialist register for dermatology. From a facialist point of view, I think this is a slightly different thing because if we're talking about medical grade facialists, so facialists... Extractions. Exactly. Extractions, peels, lasers. I think those are incredibly beneficial. And when you're doing that, I would say similar thing, actually. What are their qualifications? What are their reviews like? What is the word of mouth like? And what is their license? Because those sorts of facials very often require a license. And so it's always worth checking out those things as well. Absolutely. 
Brett would like to know how to prevent acne occurring after facial hair removal. Because, of course, when we have things like threading, we leave the hair follicle wide open. The hair is completely yanked out and we have an open hair follicle and then we put our skincare on and that can cause problems, right? That's right. So I think, you know, there's a couple of things I would say from the hair removal point of view. The first thing is you want to make sure that whatever method of hair removal you're having, you know, be that threading, plucking, laser hair removal, the skin is clean before we start. And the person that may be touching your skin has also cleaned their hands. That's super, super important. You know, I've been to some threading places, for example, where you notice that people aren't, you know, washing their hands or using alcohol gel between. And that's really important. The second thing I would say is, you know, after the treatment is done, it's a good idea, if it's possible, that they do put some kind of sort of cleansing balm onto the skin again, or the skin is wiped down so it is clean. And then from an individual point of view, you're not playing with it, you're not plucking it, you're not going straight to the gym wearing occlusive like clothing or sweating, any of those things then that can aggravate and then basically cause that pore to become blocked. Angeli Marto, you've been so brilliant, so clear. Um, I've loved having you on. I could talk to you all day. Where can people find you on the internet? So I'm at Angeli Marto on Instagram and Dr. Angeli Marto on Twitter. Thank you so much for coming on and thank you so much for listening and for all your questions. Please do keep your questions coming. Tag me on social. I'm Sally Hughes, one L and an I, pretty much everywhere except Facebook where I'm Sally Hughes, get the look. And use the hashtag The Beauty Podcast with Sally and I will always try and get your questions in or your suggested topics. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. The Beauty Podcast with Sally Hughes was brought to you by Avon. Bye bye.